Heidi. Is there anything cuter than shopping for babies and baby gifts? Like, honestly, it gives me baby fever. Whoa, easy there, tiger. <laughs> but seriously, as a mama who's had three under three for a time, I am all about any gifts that make a new mama's life easier. And I love gifting precious baby stuff to my friends and family who can use it. If you're looking for the best baby gifts this holiday season, look no further than Ubi, where innovative products are designed and created with parents and children in mind. Ubi is your one-stop shop for gifting those new mamas in your life with things like the Ubi Bath Gift Set, which includes all your bath time essentials like four sets of bath toys, I love that they're dishwasher safe, and a two-part toy drying bin with storage for between baths. And speaking of bath time essentials, think about how delighted any mom would be to receive an adorable Ubi hooded towel this holiday season. Ultra soft and absorbent, this hooded towel is big enough to cover babies and toddlers. It's 100% French terry cotton and shaped like a stingray to make bath time more fun. Or pick up a tweet snack container made of durable Triton. It's PVC, BPA, and phthalate free. It's got a rubber seal with attached lid, cleverly designed to keep food fresh and not get lost, and a large opening to allow little hands in without spillage. Its weighted base keeps it from tipping over, and it's great on the go and dishwasher safe. Pick up these great Ubi products and more at major retailers like Amazon, Babylist, Target, and Bye Bye Baby. Once I got on the other side of it, and throughout that period, the way that I healed was interviewing young people all over the world about their experiences with social media and mental health and realized that this was not just a me problem. This was really a societal problem. And I had a light bulb moment one night and I was like, okay, social media is half the story. Welcome back to an all new season of Off the Gram, a show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Yay! Heidi here, flying solo as Megan recovers and Jame is out being her boss babe self. Speaking of boss babes, we are so excited to bring on 28-year-old Larissa May, also known as Lars May, a trailblazing mental health advocate, global marketing guru, and founder of Half the Story, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering the next generation's relationship with social media. During her senior year at Vanderbilt University, amidst a dark battle with depression, Lars experienced a light bulb moment, realizing how social media was negatively impacting her life. With $250 from her college dorm room, she set out on a mission to help others create more meaningful connections through social storytelling, thus launching Half the Story. Within two years, Half the Story grew into a globally recognized movement, pioneering a nationwide conversation about the importance of digital well-being for youth through educational resources and internationally recognized events like the Global Day of Unplugging. Half the Story has become a leading youth 501c3, receiving more than 30,000 stories of youth relating to the cause from 99 countries around the world. Lars has been featured in Time, Forbes, Refinery29, Good Morning America, and NBC, and is a recognized public speaker who has presented to corporations and institutions like Pinterest, Sundance Film Festival, and L'Oreal, as well as top universities across the globe. Listen to this show if you want to learn how to avoid the negative effects of social media, 
you have mixed feelings about allowing your own children to be on social media, or you could benefit from some digital wellness best practices for yourself. Thank you so much for joining us, Lars. I am so excited to finally meet you. And I just am so inspired by the fact that you started half the story when you were in college. My little sister went to Bandy, so I have nothing but fond memories of that place. Anchor down. (laughs) Yeah. So I would just like, first, before we get into all this, I need to tell everybody listening that can't see you that you have the cutest dog ever in the room with you. And everybody should just go and hug a pug today because Lars has the cutest dog. A a pug (laughs) hug a day keeps the blues away. That's for sure. I love it. All right. So back to half the story. So you started it in college. Can you please tell us a little bit about the impetus for this? Because, you know, you talk about old souls, like having the wisdom that you had to do this in college, it had to come from somewhere. So let's hear it. Well, man, I always say that the brightest lights, you know, sometimes come in the darkest nights. And half the story was an idea that came during one of the darkest periods of my life. And I think that we all as humans, as moms, as daughters, as whatever we identify as, or for for anyone that's listening to this, as, as you come here today, whatever way you're showing up, we all are united in the fact that we've had struggles. And I think so much of our world and social media specifically focuses more on the walls that separate us and the filters that separate us more than the struggles that connect us. And so in this period of my life, so long story short, I was in college. It was right when the blogging age came to fruition. I was young, naive, and also very, very intrigued by what the potential was of the digital world, the ability to build a skill set and a career and be able to sit at a table and have a voice so that I didn't have to work my way up in a corporate culture, which was never my thing anyways. And so I was like, social media will be my thing. And it became my thing. And I studied SEO, SEM. I started a blog. I was making money and, and you know, starting instead of having to have a job on campus, I was able to just do my blog. And I thought that was amazing. And that was the positive side of social media. But as a college student and as someone that is on here today, I've struggled with chronic depression throughout my entire life. And when I hit my lowest point, I wound up almost taking my life and was basically saved by my RA on my floor because my best friend actually moved out of my dorm room because of my depression. And so I was alone in there and I wasn't going to class. And she came down the hallway and knocked on my door and said, this is not the Lars that I knew last year. And I know this is not the Lars. This is not really Lars. This is another version of her. And, you know, she was basically was like, are you experiencing suicidal ideation? And unfortunately, the answer was yes. And so um, I'd spent days in, in my room and my screen was my shield and also my sword. It was a shield because I protected my identity by posting old photos and t- just kind of making it seem like everything was hunky dory. But the truth of it was, I wound up getting dragged to the psych ward where they asked me about drugs, sex, alcohol, all the above. And luckily, I started on a journey toward healing. But through that, like any healing journey, it's a choice that you have to make to get better. And I started taking my antidepressants. I started doing more for my physical health. But I realized they didn't ask me about the drug that was in my pocket, which was my phone. I was spending 12 to 14 hours a day on it. And I, you know, I said, no, I don't do drugs. No, I don't do this. No, I don't do that. But, you know, 
this thing was a huge part of my life. And it was a magnifying glass for my emotions, both positive and negative, because of where my brain was in that period of development, really relying on that limbic and emotional system. And so once I got on the other side of it, and throughout that period, the way that I healed was interviewing young people all over the world about their experiences with social media and mental health and realized that this was not just a me problem. This was really a societal problem. And I had a light bulb moment one night and I was like, okay, social media is half the story. So I basically came up with this logo with a friend, printed a bunch of stickers and the rest was history. And I was like, I want to fix this problem rather than be a part of it. And that's where it was born. That's, I had so many, and I don't get these often. I had so many full body shiver moments while you were telling oh. that story. I just want to thank you so much for being so honest. And it's it's so hard for people to be honest. And it's so, so, so important, especially, especially as it relates to mental illness, specifically depression. I mean, I say specifically depression because I feel like probably I know the more, more people that have been, you know, yeah. really, yeah. really affected by it. My very best friend in college did commit suicide. So it's something that is near and dear to my heart. And, um, and thank you just so much for being honest about the fact that no one recognizes the phone as addiction or social media as addiction, regardless of how many documentaries get put out showing that the brain, the part of your brain that gets lit up is like, you know, the cocaine center or whatever. It's right. crazy. And I love that you took your pain and turned it, you know, not only into a passion, but you, you reached out to other people because you knew it wasn't just about you, that, yeah. that it affected, if it affected you, it affected other people. Yeah. And in gathering these other human stories, you were like, look, this is a body of work. It's not just me. So yeah. when you found that and you started gathering stories, what did you do to start like building it? Right? Because it's a giant movement today. It's amazing what you're doing. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Yeah. And honestly, I'm I'm so humbled by it all. I mean, I, I can't believe this year has been seven years and we've been doing public policy and global advocacy. And it's just, you know, it, it's pretty wild. And And I think how I how I began was really much, really how I always would begin everything, which was not just the idea, but just going out unapologetically and saying, you know what, I'm going to try this way. I'm going to try to bring people in. I'm going to try to get their stories and not just focus on changing people's minds, but really capturing their hearts and, and, you know, bringing them into community so that they can work through pain with others. Because the isolation crisis that we're facing can be created by technology, but it can also be destroyed by it if we're using it in the right way. And so I just kind of flipped my whole script and tried to find young people that were going through what I did and identified them from all over the world and encouraged them to become story squad members and share their stories and use social media as a bridge between emotional health and digital habits and mental health resources within their local communities. And from there, you know, after traveling around the world, I paid for half the story in the first couple of years uh, through public speaking. And then also I was helping to build two other direct to consumer for profit brands. My background is marketing because I couldn't pay my bills doing this out of the gate. Like ask any 21 year old to start a nonprofit. I promise you of all the businesses I plan to build in my life, this will have been the hardest one if you if we sit down in another 20 years, because you know, you come out of college, you come to New York, you're like, okay, so now I have to figure out how to get money from people to do this. And there's no return on that investment. And on top of that, no one was talking about digital wellness seven years ago. And so it was like this uphill battle. And I uh, just started speaking and learning. And, you know, the best way 
I think the way that the world teaches us to work and as young people is to use your voice and to be loud and to do all of those things, which is partially true. But I think what I've learned on my journey is that the most powerful thing you can do is listen, because when you listen, you can really build the right solutions and answers and empathize. And so I'd say I went on a, I was listening, of course, speaking, but really listening for about four to five years and speaking to young people and then identified a huge gap. And that was what is the solution specifically to solve the emotional health as we think about it in education, SEL paired with digital habits, because we're so focused on the what, which is the addiction, the time you're spending, but we're not understanding the why, which is why are kids choosing this? What are they struggling with emotionally? Why are they, you know, what is the why that's creating the what? And that was the beginning of the journey. And what I decided to do is I just started, you know, I I had a lot of turnover in terms of bringing people into the mission from board members that weren't the right fit. I had you know, I had to try to get my friends to like volunteer and do it with me. And, you know, I actually lost a lot of friendships as a result of that, because people are like, well, you're not paying me. And I'm like, well, I'm not paying me either. So, you know, I think it was a lot of sacrifice financially, personally, emotionally, but I just had this and I'm not a mom, you would probably know this is like, it's like, I assume that being a mom is having this like visceral feeling in your body where you're like, I have to take care of this child no matter what. And the way that I feel about this mission is that this is what I was born to do. And there's a difference between a job and a calling. And I could have done any other job I wanted, but I was just never fulfilled because I knew that this was my mission. And so now I get to do this every day, 365. And we have an educational program that's intervention back that we bring to middle schools and high schools. But we've also been on the forefront of a lot of national and specifically California policy, which, you know, to me, it's like, when you want to make a difference, you got to go to the top and you got to go to the bottom and then you got to bring them together. And that's where we're at. Well, I love that you brought that up because you did testify in the hearings for the now passed California state bill, AB 2408, that will hold social media companies liable for using addictive algorithms on children using their platforms, which is like mind blowing, incredible, amazing, all the things. So can you tell us what that was like? Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things around that. So first and foremost, actually AB 2408 at the final hour got pulled in appropriations, but we had no no vote. So basically, it's it's tricky, but like it didn't actually get passed, but we're bringing it back next year. But what did get passed was the child privacy uh, protection law, which protects kids IP and all of that. But that's really step one. We're very focused on the infrastructure and the algorithms. And we're working on, we're actually doing an event in New York uh, in December. I'll invite you to it where we're going to be talking a lot about and and also fundraising for that future. But yeah, so that was a really wild journey. And I never thought, I mean, I will say my now fiance a year ago and around Christmas said, I really believe that this year you're going to be in government and you're going to start getting involved. And then a month later, I was invited to the Youth White House Mental Health Forum to speak. And then I just started going to this California State Capitol every week. And, you know, I think when like what that was like, I will tell you, and and I think for people listening to this, I'm not a shy person. I'm a very open book. But the moment that I had to walk in, and I remember the first branch, the judicial branch, into that room with a group of 10, honestly, men over the age of 60 and tell the story I told you, but almost in a much more brutal way to them, it was like my stomach 
fell out of my body. I was so nervous. I who wouldn't be? Yeah, I was like looking for the one woman in the room to like have that eye contact with her because it's such a I've never been to court, luckily, knock on wood. And, you know, I think for me, it was such an eye opening experience, because it helped me understand, I think the breakdown in our world and, and the challenges and how hard it is to really push things through and that like 10 people have the ability to change the world. And I was I was really scared and I people I have never talked about that on a podcast because most people are like wanting to focus on how awesome it was but to be honest I was scared shitless in full truth like I have never had like a shaky voice on a mic I do public speaking every week it was terrifying and it was only 12 people but we had no no votes we made it all the way through it got silently killed in appropriations which is basically a sus way of the government killing something because of politics that are happening behind the scenes very interesting. Politics is exactly what it looks like on the inside from the outside. But it was a huge accomplishment because we created a global conversation about it. 80 bills regarding infrastructure have been put forward since we created that last year. And now we are going back to campaign and uh, mobilize and get people behind it and to also meet with people within tech companies to really figure out like, who can, can we get a bigger tech company as an ally that's more on the positive side of this? And can we co-create the language to you know help really push this forward? And how do we raise the money to market this? All of these things. And yeah, it's it's so wild. Like I can't believe it. But at the end of the day, it's not because we have seatbelts for cars. We put kids' toys, food, everything through sets of requirements, the FDA, yet we have technology that's been around for 20 years. And it had has had virtually no checks and balances. And so to me, like, we're just brutally behind. And this is one step and one step that we can take as an organization to help change this on a state level with the goal of then influencing individual states and then ultimately, hopefully, national policy. I mean, it's amazing that you're doing this. And thank you so much for sharing that you were terrified because it's important. It's an important thing to talk about in that. Yeah, you were scared beyond belief and you moved forward anyway because it matters that much. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. I mean, I, I can't even make this up. Like just the the sacrifice and the like literally it, I, I can't even get into it, but it's 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 hard it's so amazing when you step back and look at a story, but when you're in it, it feels sometimes like a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of hard work. And then you step back and you're like I'm actually really proud of that story that I was able to take it from here to here. And I think as women, as leaders, as type A people, which I'm sure you are based on what I know about you. um, (laughs) And even, you know, as we lead our teams, like I'm just really trying to press pause and just appreciate both the big mountains and the small steps because they're both equally as important. And um, yeah, I just feel so blessed and humbled that this is what I get to do every day. Amazing. Jane, you know I'm not on TikTok, but even I am hearing about all of the crazy beauty trends exploding over there. Right? I mean, even you have to have heard of skin cycling. I have! That one is exploding all over social and mainstream media. And why wouldn't it? I mean, I've never met a human who isn't confused and overwhelmed by all of the skincare products and when and where to use them. I feel like the rules change every five seconds. 
totally. That's why renowned celebrity dermatologist, Dr. Whitney Bowe created Skin Cycling. It's a simple four-day approach to your nighttime regime that you can customize to your skin's needs. Finally, something I can follow. So pumped that she is gifting two of our lucky listeners her two new products. Make sure to follow Jamie and I on social for details on that giveaway at Heidi Christopher and at NYC Fit Fam. Jamie, tell them what they can win. Yep. First one is Dr. Whitney Bow Beauty's Exfoliation Night Resurfacing and Brightening Serum. Night one of skin cycling. Clinically proven, non-irritating, and powerful, this serum exfoliates with a blend of three skin-safe acids, including glycolic acid. Amazing. Next up, Night Mode Restorative Sleep and Skin Capsules for that inside approach to skincare that earned Dr. Whitney Bow her title as the three-dimensional derm. Love that. These clinically proven relaxation capsules support healthier skin by helping to ease stress, promote calm, and facilitate better sleep. Yes, please. We all could use those. Sold exclusively on drwhitneybowbeauty.com, our listeners can get 10% off using the code OFFTHEGRAM10. This isn't like a question I planned on asking you, but listening to you speak, I'm just curious when you're saying, you know, we're so far behind and it's been, you know, no checks and balances for 20 years. Do you think that it's because most bad effects of social media are really impacting females? Because there's actually a ton of other studies that show that things that impact females just don't get the light. They don't get the research. They don't get the this. They don't get the that. Do you have any feeling about that? Man, I have so many feelings about this. So first and foremost, um, women are a minority. When it comes to the government and issues that are passed, it's clear, regardless of what issue you're talking about, that women do not have the majority voice. Therefore, we are the minority and it is harder for things to get passed, just like any other minority. So that's just the numbers game <laughs> based on the way that the American government works. But the other thing that's that I think you brought up, which I'm, if your podcast was a visual cast, which I would, you know, I, I would share, um, which maybe I will just pull it up because I think it's really compelling. Is so last year we did you read the Facebook files? Definitely, like not in the last like month though, <laughs> like last week. So, I mean, <laughs> like, so it's not like so top of mind. About a year ago, um, which is this is also wild in its own right. About a year ago, a Wall Street Journal reporter called me up and said, "I'm working on this story," and this was after Frances Hogan came out, and she was like, "We." this turned out to be the Facebook files. And she was like, we need, you know, three young people and their stories to basically, you know, be featured. So we wound up being three girls from that initial piece were actually from our organization and all of those stories were featured. And, you know, once that came out, which basically was, and Frances Haugen is a hero, right? Because she basically broke her NDA, but you know, once that came out, what we basically found out is that one, not only does Facebook know what they're doing, but two, they know that Facebook is disproportionately impacting women. But the other part of that too, which I will say in this work, and I want to highlight both sides of the story is that I think there's also a lot of stigma for men. And I think men are less likely to speak up. And I do think, you know, what we've learned a lot more in our work is just that young men and women are impacted. Women are based on the data, more impacted, but there are always internal and external factors that lead to the data that we receive. So, you know, there is one data and graph that we share with all of our, in all of our lobbying meetings that I think is really interesting. And 
what it basically shows, which is answering your question is how, because there's arguments on both sides, right? But like, when I think about, okay, what is one of the most objective ways that we can look at the correlation between Instagram and these visual platforms and the way that it's impacting young people and women specifically, is just like looking at the numbers. So you look at this graph, this is what, it, what Instagram's rise to 1 billion users looked like. You look at this graph, this is the increases in uh, depression, self-harm, and suicide among U.S. adolescent young women specifically. So suicide, self-poisoning, major depressive episodes, and depressive symptoms within that same period. If you look at these graphs right next to each other, they basically correlate almost directly. Um, and based on the research that Facebook came out with last year, one is that they they traced you know a number of teens suicidal thoughts to social media. But then on top of that, what they found is that 30% of women that leave the platform feel worse about themselves than the way that they found it. And to me, the bigger problem with that is not just social media, but that also ultimately inhibits female potential in the world. Because if we don't believe in ourselves, we can't accomplish the things in the world that we want to do. And social media has been just another thing getting in the way and telling young women that they aren't enough. And certainly one of the biggest reasons that I do this work, and I always say Gloria Steinem style, because the implications are so much greater than just social media. This is like societal humanity. What is the opportunity cost of humanity? It's, I mean, that was, I hope that we can get a copy of that. So when we post about this, we can post that graph. Yes, I'll just share. that's all right. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thank yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, we'll obviously credit you. <laughs> it's, that's staggering. I mean, I saw stuff like that when we, you know, when I watched the social experiment, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I just like, it's, it's so hard to comprehend that this is allowed to continue in this manner. It's really. It is it's, and it isn't. And the reason why is because. At the end of the day, which to be honest, like I, I think we don't realize this is that social media is basically the go- like the governance of our society right now. And in some ways, social media has more power than our own respective governments. And it's a monopoly of power globally in a lot of ways. And social media networks are more connected to the government and things than we would think, right? So For example, and I'm just throwing this out there, I'm only speculating, there is a reason our bill was silently killed in appropriations. It is because it would cost social media companies a lot of money. The speculation that we have is that they said, you know what, we're going to pass the privacy bill to ease and create a great PR story and to like make people feel like California is protecting kids. But we're going to kill the infrastructure bill, which is really the thing that's going to save that's preying on the limbic systems of young people. And uh, there's a reason why, because someone behind the scenes said, hey, this is going to cost me too much money, or I'm not going to give you money for your campaign if you pass this bill. Like money is on the table. These were born in a capitalist society and we can't ignore that and we can't turn our heads. So what is the solution? I, I, I think it's us coming together and it's it's us having these conversations. And I've had you know, we we do partner, um, I will say, with one social network only, which is Pinterest, and they are wholeheartedly devoted to mental well-being. And I've had conversations with their CEOs, like all like they are fully behind our work and have like are committed to having these conversations at the same table, whereas I think a lot of the other networks aren't, which is why some of them are doing massive layoffs right now, whereas others of them are actually performing. So, you know, it's it's tricky, but 
you know, the, the question begs is, the, I think the question is really like, if these are built in a capitalist society with, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, they have to serve their shareholders, like period, it's a business. So how do we serve our shareholders and also make investments to protect the future of humanity? And I look at it very similar to the environmental crisis is as a company, sometimes you have to take cuts to up level, upcycle, which might cost a little more money for the sake of the planet. And the same thing goes here. Yeah, I mean, listen, talking about future, there's so much, there's so much talk about, like, oh, the capitalist society. Um, I'm like, oh, and And we benefit from it, right? I know, I know. Yeah, Yeah. no, for sure. Uh So for sure, but some companies try to do the right thing. You know, I (laughs) not every company tries to. There's many levels of addiction, right? You know, sugar is very addictive. That's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. You know, all these companies with all their added sugar to make you addicted to their food. Speaking of, yeah, I mean, look, there's. There are so many things when you start like peeling the onion, right? But so talking about like the future of humanity, you have to think about, you know, young children, parenting. And so parenting and social media, I mean, my my twins are seven, but like that's not that far away, right? Like kids seem to be getting phones younger and younger and younger. And therefore they want to be on these platforms younger and younger and younger. And, you know, after I watched the social experiment and not a single one of the executives at any of those companies will allow their own children on their platforms that they make, you know, millions of dollars from personally every year. And I'm like, why, why should I allow my kids on social? Like, I, I don't want those things for them. But also, like, if it's just so hard. I mean, I have fought the very uphill battle of sugar with my children thus far. And, you know, even my husband, like... I love him. He's amazing. But he's like, I don't want them to be the weird kids. And I'm like, because they, like, they're my not mom's not- giving me gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free candy on Halloween. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and look, I, I think I think it uh, that's it's really tough. And in the way that we think about our theory of change, it requires engagement and education with the youth, with the caregivers, and also with the educators, because schools have taken, unfortunately, it's yet another thing that they're responsible for this third space of the digital world. And we have learned a couple of things from our teens. And I know that you have a a lot of moms that are listening that might be helpful to share. So I think the first and most important thing is to remove shame from technology use. And there's a lot of shame that kids have, which is why they feel like they need to hide their tech, which is why they feel like they can't talk to their parents about what they're doing. It's, you know, very, very similar to, I mean, I I hate to share this with the world, but in high school, like I definitely had my fair share of partying and I consumed alcohol. And was it illegal? And was it something that my parents wanted me to do? No. But did they know that I was going to be exposed to it? Yes. And I think that you know, the approach that you have is have to have as a parent in the digital world is that if you cut your kids off completely from it, they're not going to know how to function socially, emotionally, and culturally in it. And in the world that we're living in, you have to figure out how to expose your kids and educate and empower them at a really young age. And we hear from a lot of kids that they wish their parents had more boundaries and rules around them, even though kids might be resistant to it. And the reason why is because they feel like, unlike other things, like fixing their bed or 
whatever you have your kids doing at a young age, their parents didn't create boundaries for them, especially in kids with lower socioeconomic status backgrounds or, you know, more troubled homes. And so I think it's important to one, create as many boundaries as possible Two, create screen free spaces and community that your kids can rely on. So instead of like just turning on TV and having your kids watching their iPad at the end of the night, and you guys watch on the big screen, like filling that time with other activities. Uh, I think another thing is like, you can't expect your kid to tell you about social media and what they're doing and how it makes them feel unless you share your own perspective as a parent and your own emotions. And I think that's kind of, you know, what I think a really technologically trustful relationship starts with is that emotion and is that compassion. And sometimes we're just so focused on the outcome that we miss the inputs that lead to that. Yeah. No, that's that's beautiful advice and great. You know, I mean, kids in every study, you know, they do require boundaries as much as they push back against them. So it's important to have them in every area, digital and social media being included in that category. Um, Children thrive on structure, period, full stop. (laughs) There's no study that discounts that. Yeah. Heidi? Yes, Jane? Okay, you've known me forever. What am I most obsessed with in the whole wide world? Huh. You love your kiddos, yoga, a good class at SoulCycle. Wait, I know. As long as I've known you, you've had a tumbler full of something attached to your hand. Ding, ding, ding. I am the beverage queen. I literally never leave home with less than five beverages. I am a hearty hydrator. And before I discovered the beauty of having a really good tumbler in my life, my boss used to tease me that my desk looked like a bodega by the end of the day because I would have a bounty of beverages all stacked up. Well... Lucky for us, there's a better way to beverage now and a super fun gift idea for this holiday season. Corksicle makes super cool products like insulated tumblers, coffee mugs, coolers, barware, canteens, and more. They have a ton of options for the holiday. Check out their gifting section where you can filter by price, type of recipient, and their drink of choice. Whether they're into sipping champagne before a luxe night out or chugging water to maintain their fitness goals. I'll be gifting a Series A Sport Canteen, which activates your best hydration ever. You can get one in the portable 20-ounce size or the heavy-hitting 32-ounce size. Great for toting to your next workout or practice. Keeping things cool for 25 hours or hot for 12. Plus, it features a soft yet incredibly strong Duraprene finish and a quick-sip sport lid for easy drinking on the go. Okay, I'm going to share the product that I asked George to give for me. From the second I saw the Lotus Backpack Cooler, I was in love. I'm constantly carrying around my kids' janky cooler bags to tote my beverages everywhere. So imagine my delight when I visited the Corksicle site and saw this adorable cooler meets backpack hybrid. It's got a bunch of exterior pockets to hold additional valuables on the go, and the interior insulation is made from 100% recycled materials. Corksicle is offering all listeners of Off the Gram 25% off through the end of the year with code GRAM25. So I want to ask just like slight pivot, not really, because it's actually connected to what we were just talking about. So it's important, as you said, that you don't cut it off from children completely because or else they won't know how to function because everybody else is, you know, talking about it and blah, blah, blah. And they're going to feel awkward and not know, you know, all the things. So, but this is for children and grownups alike. So what are some things that people can do if they want to stay connected, but steer clear of the harmful effects? Like what are some like, I don't know, digital wellness best practices? So 
I would say the biggest shift that you want to unlock in yourself and with your kids is the shift from mindless consumption to mindful consumption. So a shift from passive to active. And that is the smallest habit. And it really begins with asking yourself. And literally, I did this on my phone for a while. I had my background that was like, why are you picking up your phone right now? And is it because you want to create? Is it because you want to connect? My dream is to create a little widget that like ultimately asks people that when they're on their device. <laughs> That's and, amazing. Um, I think it starts with asking yourself that question. I think the second thing is you can't have a goal without having a system to get there. And when your device, like if you have your device as it is today and you want it to serve a different purpose tomorrow without rearranging it and setting yourself up for success, it's not going to happen. And so there are a couple things that I think you can do to start fresh, which is delete every single app you haven't used in the last five days because chances are you don't need it. The second thing is to make your sticky apps so that the apps that you use the most mindlessly, really difficult to access. So if you have an iPhone, put your social your social icon in a folder that you have to swipe twice to get to. And that way you really have to dig for it and you really have to have a reason that you want to be there. And then the third is, you know, remove as much distraction as possible and, you know, create, create space on your phone and your brain. And there's actually a really interesting thing you can do called grayscale, which actually takes out all the color of your phone. And so when you do that, which is really a fun experiment to do with your kids in a way that's not shameful, but like, whoa, let's try this experiment and see how it impacts us. And let's do a great challenge and and see how our screen time is impacted. I find that a really, really great tool, especially uh, even as a digital wellness person, sometimes I get pulled into things or I feel out of control just because like all of the things that I have to do are typically being told to me through this device. So yeah, I think let your phone work for you. And then lastly, set up small practices in your day that can change your life. And that's as simple as getting a real alarm clock. Uh, Don't let your phone wake you up and don't let your phone put you to sleep. Create a, a community space for your phones and, you know, put something fun next to them, whether it's, you know, art, books, whatever your kids want that to be so that they're in charge of whatever that screen free activity is. And I think those small steps are like really key to one, just reframing the way you think about tech and trying to become more mindful around it, which I think is the big unlock that we need to have as a culture. Those are amazing. And probably you already answered my last question, which we'll get to. But before we get there, do you want to talk at all? Like, do you have a platform where people can learn these tricks? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. So That's a great question. And we actually, so on our website, we have, we're actually working more on our our resources page for parents. Um, But quite honestly, we're like, we're like drinking water out of a fire hose right now in terms of like the demand for our work. So we're trying to refine that. But what I would say is that if you're interested in bringing, if you want to one, get involved in our policies and you want your kids to lobby with us or share their stories, you know that's one way you can get involved. The second way you can get involved is by bringing our programming to your school, which there's a form for on our website. And the third way you can get involved is just by joining the conversation and spreading the word, whether it be through fundraising on social media or getting people involved and bringing awareness uh, to our platform, which is just half the story everywhere. And you know, I'm just so grateful because I really think parents are and continue to be some of our biggest mobilizers of this mission and our advocates and the ones that get these into the spaces that we need to be. So thank you for doing this work alongside everything else that you have to do as as a mom and businesswoman. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And we, and we're just so grateful that you're sharing this with our audience. We're so excited to share it with our audience because as you noted, there are so many moms that tune into our podcast and they have all these questions for you. So they'll be really excited to head over to your site. And where can they follow you on the gram? On the gram at half the story or at living like Lars. And I do a ton of videos like actually geared towards parents that analyze and talk about this stuff. And if you ever have a question and you're a parent, feel free to DM me because I'm always just sending off resources to people. And I like to I like to try to make one to one impact as much as possible, because sometimes when you're a founder, you get so focused on (laughs) what the big rocks are that you have to move. So it's always humbling to have those conversations. So don't be afraid to reach out. Amazing. Thank you so much. So the last question that we always ask our amazing, inspiring guests, you, which you probably already answered, but we'll see, is our karma call. So usually Megan comes on and says it, but she's still healing and she does it with like all this bravado. And then I come in and I explain that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask you, what is one very small actionable item that our listeners could take for a short period of time that would yield a large result? Small action, large result. So. I would say one small step is to tap into play and creativity every day with your kids. I think what we're really missing and one of the biggest things that people say what scares you the most is that I see the next generation has developed so much apathy and inability to tap into their inner child when they are supposed to be the children themselves. So find something playful and fun to tap into that's more interesting than technology every single day. And you'll find that it'll be something your whole family looks forward to. I love that. Tap into play. (laughs) Thank you so much, Laura. That's such great advice. I hope everybody tries it. And I hope everybody goes and follows you on the gram, of course, at Half the Story. And what was the other? Living like Lars. (laughs) I love it. Yay. So thank you for joining us. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Of course, be sure to follow us as well on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. And of course, subscribe to our show anywhere podcasts can be consumed. And if you like us, drop us some stars. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.